Welcome to the 3ND Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Uh, my co-host Justin Lewis um, is uh, away for the week, so uh, we just wanted to take a, a little bit of time and uh, obviously discuss what has been an exciting first week for Memphis Grizzlies basketball. Some ways disappointing, but overall encouraging. And I am very happy to welcome fellow Grizzly Bear Blues contributor Ross Gerard. Ross, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I can't complain at all, man. Uh, just uh, uh, it's nice to have a little bit of a break. You know, it, it's been fun watching the Grizzlies, but you know, <laughs> they, they've they've put up put us on some roller coasters so far this season. And, and, and but you know, nothing. The heart it wasn't a heartbreaker, but it was definitely a fun game Sunday. But beyond that, you know, it, it's been fun at first and then disappointing at the end. But just glad to get a break. How about yourself? Oh yeah, same. It's it's way too early to have all these like super emotional, intense games. Like, the feels like last season just ended, like, two months ago. I agree. And the season kind of snuck up on us. So, like, I, agree. I don't know. Like, my, my heart can wait until, like, December for these last-second games. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with the Grizzlies and, and their expectations for the season, you, you, you may you may want to do that so you don't take a decade off your life in the process. But, oh, God, um, yes, yes. <laughs> Ross has been a contributing member now for a few years with Grizzly Bear Blues. He, I believe that he actually uh, was there before I was. But um, a funny, funny thing is this, is that Ross may not remember this, but when I first wrote, when I wrote my first piece for Grizzly Bear Blues as I was trying to come up with the team and things like that, I'll never forget, Ross, you were the first one to reach out to me and say that you were a fan of the piece that I wrote, and that stuck with me. So thank you very much for that. Oh, really? Hey, I appreciate that a I'm lot. Glad you remember that. <laughs> but I've been looking forward to getting Ross um, on the show. If you're a fan of his writing, uh, he he does the weak side help, his weekly contribution to Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, you will find out soon enough as to why um, he's a talented and just fun person to speak with. Um, and we'll get into that in a second. As always, you can follow us at 3 and Pod on uh, Twitter. You can follow myself at Stats, S-A-C, that's at S-T-A-T-S. SAC, but Ross, let's jump right into it. I want you to plug yourself a little bit if you feel that makes sense, but um, a little bit about you, how you came to be a Grizzlies fan and, um, you know, lead yourself to, you know, wanting to write about them and, you know, how can people, you know, interact and find you uh, through social media? Uh, Well, if we're plugging things, uh, follow me at at ASAP Rocky Top on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and follow the new Grizzly Bear Blues Instagram at Grizzly Bear Blues. Um, plugged out of the way. Uh, oh, yeah, I've been a Memphis fan uh, my whole basketball-loving life, which uh, started when I was about eight when I lived in Memphis. Um, moved to Maryland when I was around like 10, 11 years old, so I've only had <laughs> a three-year stretch in Memphis and kind of just got attached. Uh, yeah, my very, I think one of my first playoffs, or it's not one of my first memories of uh, Memphis basketball is getting destroyed by the Mavericks and swept in like 06 or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, I, I got I got in there like right after like the worst years, I think. But uh, yeah, it, it's been a fun time for sure. 
I think that a lot of people can say that being a Grizzlies fan. It definitely is. uh, It's fun to watch them play, and it's exciting now this year. You know, again, as we've stated a few times, at the end of the day, the the season record this year probably is going to mimic the past two years, but the, the difference in playing styles is a lot more exciting. And, Ross, let's let's get into that a little bit. So, you know, four games now, you know, one and three. Obviously, you know, the most memorable one is the thrilling on Sunday. But in every one of these games, the Grizzlies have been right there for what it seems like the first 30 minutes of the game. And then besides Sunday, they just fall off. They run into a brick wall on offense, and the defense, um, you know, kind of kind of falls off. One thing, though, that you mentioned off the uh, before we um, got on the pod that's in your weak side help this week is the biggest difference you see so far this season compared to previous seasons is the pace of play. Grizzlies right now are fourth in the league in terms of possessions per game. Ross, do you feel like their efforts may be, when we see them fall off, could it be them being tiring out? Do do you feel that they get tired? That could definitely be a factor, especially with uh, a team that, granted, the roster isn't completely the same as last year, but they weren't used to this last year, you know, Jonas, Jonas Valanciunas definitely wasn't. Uh, Jaron Jackson and what little he played last year, he wasn't used to this uh, uh, this pace of play. And uh, that could definitely be a case. We just probably have to, you know, condition ourselves mentally, you know, to keep that up for 48 minutes. But uh, something I wanted to point out about our style of play is that, you know, uh, Taylor Jenkins, he was hired and everyone thought he was going to modernize the offense. And so far he definitely has, but a lot of people I think associated that with taking more threes. And I don't think we, we rank uh, in the, probably the bottom third of the league in three point rate. Uh, we don't take that many threes because uh, we don't really have that many dependable shooters. Uh, we have a lot of guys who are good in theory, like Jay Crowder and Dylan Brooks uh jaron jackson these these guys can all in theory hit threes and they just haven't and i think when uh you're playing up tempo and you're playing at a fast pace and you chuck up a three really quick or chuck up a shot really quick that's not going to go in because we're also near the bottom in offensive rating then you gotta play catch up on defense when the other team is in transition so it's just kind of like you gotta work through your errors especially on uh when you're trying to implement an extremely, extremely faster pace of play than what you did a year ago. And, and it's going to take time, too. Oh, yeah. I, I agreed 100%. And that's the thing. Since it's going to take time, uh, you really need to stick with it. You know, 30 to 35 threes a night makes sense. 45 threes, I think, then you take away from other parts of the offense really being able to set up and, you know, really being able to develop. You know, I mentioned it. Budenholzer's teams, where Taylor Jenkins came from, they finished second in the league the first year that uh, Jenkins was an assistant coach, and they finished second in the league last year. But the difference between those five years is that they averaged 25 threes back in 13-14 when they finished second. Last year, they um, averaged 38 threes in Budenholzer's first year with the Bucks. So you're right. Threes are definitely picking up, but you don't need to overlook the other part of the offense. 
Speaking of that, Ross, when it comes to the Grizzlies offense, that's obviously where people are most excited, where we where you know, a lot of people looked at this as a highlight uh, creator, and we've seen a little bit of that. But how do you feel that the young players are playing so far? Do you see a development in Jaron Jackson's game? How do you see um, John ja Morant starting off? And obviously the efficiency of Brandon Clark has really stepped up. Just a few things you've taken away from the offense and, and, and how you feel the Grizzlies are adapting and gelling as they you know play more time together in Jenkins' system. Uh, well, I think, you know, especially the young guys in the offense, you know, John Morant, Brandon Clark, uh, Grayson Allen, these are uh, – well, Grayson Allen is the only non-rookie of the three, but they're the three youngest guys who have played the most who haven't been on the Grizzlies before. Like, Jaron Jackson was here last year, so he has some sort of at least – he's not being thrown into the water quite, or into the fire like John Morant is. And what you can tell from Jaron Jackson is that he's been like a lot more aggressive this year. Um, I think you could just tell in the – the Chicago Bulls game when things weren't really going well in the third and fourth quarter, uh, Jaron, you know, he was aggressive. He was, you know, fighting back Bulls players who were picking on Grizzlies that he was, uh, you know, taking like really high percentage shots uh, in the pain. He was playing really good defense too. Uh, the fouling is still going to be a problem with him, but uh, you know, that's on the defensive side on offense. He's still doing pretty good. Um, I'd like to, like I said, uh, without the whole team, you know, I'd like to see him take some more threes, but I think that's going to come. Uh, John Morant, I, I really, really, really want to see him take some more threes because he has been incredible at getting inside the paint and getting, uh, drawing in defenders so he can kick it out to open shooters. But pretty soon, you know, defenses are going to key in on that. Once they know he's not going to take shots, uh, a la Ben Simmons will just sag off of him and he's not going to really draw anyone in anymore. So I think he needs to just, of all people, John Morant needs to take more threes. Grayson Allen needs to stop playing <laughs> basketball <laughs> for the Grizzlies. And Brandon <laughs> Clark, I think, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, okay, Grayson Allen, he'll probably look a lot better later in the year. This is four games in. But it's just not been good. When like when the team goes to Solomon Hill instead of you, that's that's a pretty bad sign for your second year in, like on a young team. I digress. Uh, but Jay, uh, and let, anyways, uh, Brendan Clark on offense, he's been doing incredible of like, making the most of his opportunities. He doesn't have like the highest usage rate. He's not really dominating the ball. But he's been doing uh, an excellent job on floaters, which he definitely needs because he's undersized you know, compared to other centers. And you know, he's uh, fighting like hell on uh, loose balls and rebounds and just playing really smart. So the rookies are definitely going to – rookies and young guys are going to coalesce. There's things to like about all of – or about most of them. <laughs> but uh, it, it's just going to have to take some time. And I – I also wonder what this offense would look like in February. I it, like we're I think fourth in case of play now. Like maybe the season goes on. Taylor Jenkins realizes he needs to slow that down a bit to uh, you know pick your spot. So I don't know. It, it could be an ever changing thing, especially with a coach we've never seen be a head coach before in the NBA. And I think that what you're seeing is 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 that 
Grizzlies fans and, 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 you know, a lot of analysts out there, they are – the first four games have proven their interest, their intrigue with the Grizzlies to be right. Because when you look at the statistics and also when you just simply watch the games, when Jonas and Jaron are in the game together, the Grizzlies are a tough out. They are a tough matchup for anyone. And that's a key, key thing to remember is that Jonas has not been in these fourth quarters. He's not been in there for the majority of the second halves to really be able to give the Grizzlies a high floor on their offense. That's the thing about the Grizzlies. They've been such a high variance. They can either be very, very good or very, very bad. Jonas is that stabilizing force to really give them a high floor and consistency, a number one scoring option that they can go with. Do you feel, Ross, as Jonas gets back to his normal playing time, maybe 25 to 30 minutes a game, that's when we'll start to see the Grizzlies perhaps pull off some of these victories that they're they're in the games competitively, but they'll be able to finish better as far as getting more wins? Uh, I would definitely hope so because, you know, that's – one of the positional, you know, holes on the roster is, you know, some like depth uh, on the front line. You know, you have Jaron, you have Jonas, you know, Jonas and Brandon Clark. But Brandon Clark, one, he's a rookie. Two, he's coming off the bench. And three, he's undersized. You can't really rely on him to be, you know, a center if Jaron is, you know, once again in foul trouble and Jonas needs a breather, um, which was why, why I was kind of surprised when, the Grizzlies waived both Ivan Rab and Miles Plumley. Agreed. Uh, I know Rab. Yeah, I know Rab. His contract wasn't or was unguaranteed, so that that just kind of made sense. But you know, uh, to be that thin uh, on the front line, that just got exposed um, against Los Angeles. Like, uh, but, you know, Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, but when you don't have any any big men at all to throw at him uh, without getting in foul trouble, that's he's just going to have his way. So I, I, Jonas definitely needs to, I think, get back to his, uh, you know, the playing time he had last year where he was thriving, you know, and, and the little playing time he's had this year, he's done pretty well, um, especially on offense. And I really like that. He's shooting more threes, you know, shooting more threes than John Morant too. <laughs> might I add. Actually, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think I just uh, made that up. But uh, I, I know he tried. Picture. He tried more threes last night. I definitely do think that he has uh, tried more threes um, on the season. And switching to the defensive side of the ball, Ross. You know, we talked about the offense. The intrigue is certainly there, and we've seen the potential that's there. But the defense, obviously, right now is a concern, which is natural. You know, I don't think that the, I, I, I mentioned in the, the preview for the Lakers game the other day that I th- think that it stayed true last night. The Grizzlies have gone. 16 quarters now to where they have not limited the offense, the opposing offense to less than 23 points a quarter. That's just hard to be able to do and win. You see a lot of defensive intrigue, but the thing about it is this, if your best defensive player cannot stay on the court, it is so hard for his impact on the game to improve the overall defense and the you know ability of the others. We've seen Brandon Clark. We've seen other players individually be able to make plays. Kyle Anderson has done his job in the middle, but at the end of the day, you've got to keep Jaron Jackson on the court to be able to really make the impact on defense that so many people know he has the talent to do. Is it all on Jaron? Does this defense have to rely on him to be on the court to be effective? And what can Jaron do to remain on the court, Ross? Uh, Well, 
As one, I think we probably need to count uh, expectations that this defense might be like any sort of decent this season. Like, um, especially with like the roster we have now is at our max capacity. I don't think we're going to be buyers at the deadline. We're probably going to lose people with anything like, you know, Iguodala, Jay Crowder, who's a decent defender. Um, who knows, like, if we decide to just sell off on Jonas or whatever. Um, but like, I, so the defense as a team is probably not going to be up to up to snuff uh, to really compete night to night. Uh, but Jaron, as for his family, I I don't think they're all his fault. But the fact Agreed. that he's been such a consistent problem is definitely worrisome. And again, it's it's only his second year. He didn't even play all of last year, so it's like he's got a, a ton of room to grow. But I still think there are ways, you know, um, the Grizzlies could probably limit those fouls around him. Uh, you know, John Morant, he's not, he's probably good one-on-one in isolation, but he's not really keeping a lot of guys in front of him, um, especially with his really, you know, his slight frame, which he'll grow into, but he's still young. But if people are coming past him, Jaron's probably going to have to take a lot more chances, uh, physically reach out, and, uh, you know, use his massive wingspan. Problem is it reaches in a little bit too much. Um, I, I, it's still, it's also still early, four games of fouling a lot. Um, this season is still a small sample size. I really, like, I, I'm worried I'm just going to say this for every <laughs> bad thing, but let's wait until <laughs> December or February. But yeah, I, I, I still, think if, if we can just stop penetration at the, Three point line. If, uh, you know, Clark and Jonas can probably, uh, you know, defend the rim more actively while Jaron's on the court so he can defend the perimeter. Uh, I think that would probably be the best way to do that if you want to keep him on the court. Because Jaron can definitely defend perimeter guys like he's shown that time and time again. Ross? Yes. Okay, not sure you 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 broke up there for a second. You were talking about Jaron being able to defend the perimeter. Oh, uh, <laughs> that was my, that was mainly it. I just wanted to say that uh, you put him out on the perimeter, and probably would uh, keep him, you know, because he does have a problem of jumping way too early on shots and pump fakes and kind of biting on that. So if, I think uh, if you take him away from the rim, well, he'll have less of a you know obligation to do that. I think that could. Uh, you know, save him, keep him on the court. So, like, when you do need him to protect the rim in the fourth quarter, he's available to do that. And that's the thing that I I also agree with is that, you know, I think that Jaron, unfortunately, has already developed a reputation where I think that he gets one or two phantom fouls a game. You know, we saw last night with the Anthony Davis situation where Anthony Davis tripped over his own feet. They called, Jer- they called it a foul on Jaron. However... Um, it was either it was his fourth and fifth foul that one occurred, but the other one was that you know Jaron takes a swipe at Aaron, just winds up hitting the guy that's in front of him, and that's that's a foul. You know, so a, a lot of it has to do with youth, a lot of it has to do with reputation. But Jaron's just got to remain disciplined. I know that he wants to contest every shot, but he's got to be able to. You know, I don't not saying take plays off, but be disciplined in his efforts. 
he can remain solid and keep his hands in the ear in good position with the, with the best of them, he needs to learn to do that consistently. But before we get to any positives, you know, let's stick with this because, you know, it, it is important to point out and realize that, again, this is a young team, so you're going to have struggles. You're going to have, you know, negative instances happen a lot during these games. Ross, besides Jaron's um, uh, fouling, you know, with John Morant, we've seen a lot of high variance. You know, he had a great fourth quarter on um, Sunday in overtime. But beyond that, he, he's been pretty much what you would expect. Just has anything stood out as a surprising negative or a surprising part of Jaron or Brandon or Morant's game that you didn't realize they're going to have to work on more as the season goes along? Hmm. I would say that uh, for Brandon Clark, I I was probably overselling or over, I probably overbought into his rim protection skills coming straight out of Gonzaga. Um, he is undersized, but like he could he can jump through the roof, which you know that he can get a lot of blocks that way because he also has great timing and great you know basketball IQ. But that doesn't really lend itself to rim protection, which is the problem you know we saw with when Jonas couldn't get on the court and we were relying on Brandon Clark at center, you know, with Kyle Anderson or whoever at the four. Um, it, he still has some problems. Or, I mean, it's just undersized. He's going to have some problems with people getting floaters off. We saw that in the Bulls game. I think there were like three floaters in a row in the third quarter against him, um, which isn't necessarily his fault, but I think the Grizzlies probably need to, you know, realize that uh that is a limitation and probably uh maybe not rely on him so much especially as a rookie and this early um to be like your defensive stopper but other than that i think you know the young guys have really played true to form uh there wasn't really anything i don't want to say too surprising other than john morant's you know really great performance against the nets uh especially late in the game because uh, what I thought was so notable about that was he didn't really do that well in the first and second uh, quarter, right. or first, second, or third quarter. He <laughs> um, wasn't really like it. Kind of felt like he was just there, just another point guard. And he, like the fact that he had the ability to take over and that translated from the college level, at least for one game, that was definitely, definitely encouraging. Um, but I, I think for now we just need a lot more time to figure out how how these players fit into their roles and how the Grizzlies embrace it. Because if they, you know, mess these things up and try and, like, you know, put Ja as shooting guard or play Brandon at small forward, like, these things can get knocked off its course very easily this early in a player's career. So I really want to see this grow steadily rather than, you know, rapidly. And I think you hit the nail on the head as far as jaw goes. You know, we have seen a lot more inconsistency than consistency. We've seen flashes, and we saw about 17 minutes of pure superstar potential. That's what you would expect to get from jaw this early in his career, especially as this team, you know, begins to gel. Talking about John Morant, though, and something that I noticed in the Miami Heat game, Ross, was that I was encouraged, and this is really where, you know, it stuck out to me as – we have a coach now who is trying something unorthodox, and you know it seemed to work a little bit. Was the idea of John Morant 
working off the ball and using his athleticism and, and his suddenness to get open. And the Grizzlies taking advantage of that, trying to get him the ball in favorable matchups, either for shots or passes. You saw him hesitant on a few shots in that game. But if Ty, for instance, if him and Tyus were to play in the same lineup, or maybe him and Melton, you mentioned Jot shooting guard. It seems like that that could be something the Grizzlies should utilize more because it seems like with his athleticism, it could be a good source of success, you know, to use many times during the game. Oh, yeah. I think that would definitely be like a great change of pace uh, type deal. And when I was referring to him as a shooting guard, or like the Grizzlies doing it, putting him as shooting guard. I think the problem would only be defensively. And Agreed. if you put him next to DeAnthony Melton, I don't think that would be a problem if um, Melton could handle the bigger guard. Him and Tyus Jones is where I might have an issue with just because both are fairly small guards. And, um, you know, like the point I mentioned when, with, with Jaron is uh, these small guards, sometimes they have a, some trouble keeping the bigger guys in front of them. And, you know, if we're playing the Rockets and, Russell Westbrook and James Harden are out there. I don't really know if one job our starters, John Moran and Dylan Brooks, that's not even that really, you know, big enough <laughs> or athletic enough as athletic as Ja is to keep up with Russ and James Harden. So I would love to see some experimentation with that. Um, and especially more like on court stuff, like having Ja be a cutter, use him off the ball, uh, especially with Kyle Anderson, who's a great passer, Jaron Jackson, who's uh, definitely capable as a passer and a ball handler. Um, and I think that would just, that would do a lot more, I think, for Jaws confidence, too, to know that he has, you know, more tricks in the bag than drive headfirst at the rim 110 miles an hour. Um, putting him off the ball, letting him learn how to uh, change his speed and change his pace, I think that would be a huge benefit to the offense which has as fast as we've been playing and as like modern as we've been playing, it's not been very good or efficient. So I think that would be a, a, a nice little like wrinkle to add. And speaking, you know, we've talked quite a bit about, you know, the, the, the young studs, the young core, but now look at the, the complementary pieces. You know, um, it seems like one of the more polarizing figures on the Grizzlies is Dylan Brooks. Obviously, you know, his injury last year, an offseason where there was some probably some off-the-court news you weren't necessarily that happy to hear, but you just wouldn't do it. But the thing that I'll say about Dylan Brooks is that if you look at the first four games, he truly has been the Grizzlies' only consistent scoring um, uh, source. You know, beyond 10 feet, he's the only guy that has consistently been able to shoot the ball. Now, he's a volume scorer. And so if you see him taking, you know, 15, 20 shots a game, you don't want Dylan Brooks taking, you know, he don't want him probably in your top three shot takers in terms of amounts each game, but it seems like it's kind of, you know, becoming a necessity to give the Grizzlies an added wrinkle of success to give them some versatility, your thoughts on Dylan Brooks and, and, and how would you like to see him to continue to develop? I think he's doing, you know, the a great first step or not, maybe not first step, but this is his third year in the league, but he's taking a great step in his development. Uh, this okay. is a contract year for him. You know, theoretically he will be a restricted free agent. Um, it, it, you know, it's not a guarantee the Grizzlies extend him a qualifying offer. He could be on the free market. And uh, I think you're seeing a player who's really playing like that. Uh, and he's taking advantage of, one, that opportunity, and two, the opportunity of there no, not being a real 
go-to scorer on this Grizzlies uh, on this Grizzlies team. Um, there's not really a uh, certainly solid three-point shooter that shoots with a high efficiency and high volume. So Dylan Brooks has kind of you know taken it upon himself to be that guy, and he's done really well. Uh, he's finding himself open. He's actually hitting these shots, <laughs> uh, you know, which can be not can be said for a lot of uh, players. And you know, he's it's like someone's got to do it at times. You know, John Morant, Jaron Jackson, they're great players in their own right, but I don't think they're ever going to be guys that are um, you know twenty five, thirty point a game scorers just because that's not really how they play or how they approach the game. So when you have these great talents and all of them are very selfless with high basketball IQs, someone kind of needs to be, you know, selfish at times, just take the ball. And, you know, Dylan Brooks has done a pretty good job of that. And like we've needed at times, like we've seen how cold this team goes at times where they just can't buy a bucket for four minutes. And then, you know, the Bulls or the Nets or the Heat make a miraculous comeback and win. <laughs> or actually, no, the Nets didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a necessity right now. It's not a really a good sign when Dylan Brooks is that player for you uh, if you're like looking to be a playoff team. But I think Dylan Brooks, if he's trying to play himself into a long-term role as the shooting guard of this uh, franchise, I think he's uh, done a great start so far. I think it was Joe Mullinax who said, you know, Dylan Brooks right now is fine, but if two years ago, two years from now, he's the starting shooting guard, something's gone terribly wrong. And I agree with it completely. He's got to build up the confidence. And I think that the volume of what he's doing now should help him settle into his natural role, which is a reserve, uh, a guard, um, and a decent shooting. Uh, option off the bench if he can get confidence when he'll have less opportunity off the bench in the future with the Grizzlies or whoever it may be I'm hoping that these you know repetitions now allows for him to do that again we're talking with Ross Gerard a little bit more time with him um you know looking at the rest of the backcourt you know we talked a little bit about the front court and, and we you know did we know what we got with Kyle Anderson. We know what we got with Bruno Caboclo. But three names come to mind, Tyus Jones, Marco Goderich, and Grace Nauman. Now, you hit on Grace in a, a little bit earlier. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, but looking at Tyus Jones, I truly feel like you could already crown him as the best backup Grizzlies point guard we've had in the history of the franchise. One thing that we always look for after Mike Conley, but he just seems like such a stabilizing force for the offense and the team as a whole when he's in there. As Jaw develops and maybe into next year and the year after that, Ross, do you feel that the Morant-Jones combination could truly be one of the better one-two punches at the point guard position in the NBA here in the near future? Oh, yeah. I, I think Tyus Jones is very good. I, I had a problem in the offseason with swapping out, essentially swapping out De- DeLon Wright for Tyus Jones. Okay. Um just because I'm a big Delon Wright fan, I think that just because he was already in the system, uh, or not in the system, in the franchise, that you know, keeping him, keeping some sort of continuity for a team that was going to experience a lot of turnover in the front office, coaching staff, and on the roster, I thought that would have had some sort of benefit. Uh, but Tyus Jones, like in a, on his own right for his contract, would still perform pretty well, um, and I. I can't really complain with the results so far. I do think that Tyus Jones, when he when he's conducting the offense, there's a, a 
a chance for it to get kind of stagnant. I think that might just be, you know, the result of this being a young team and we're just going to have some stagnant, you know, offensive uh, possessions and it just happens. Tyus Jones down the court for them. But, I, you know, in terms of better than Mario Chalmers, yes. Uh, Dino Udry, Idris, yes. Uh, Nicolates, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tyus Jones is definitely the best backup point guard in a while. Delon Wright probably would have been if he stayed, but too small a sample size. <laughs> it's not like you have a just a laundry list of just significant talents to compare them to, you know, that's for sure. Um, but look when at I was stretching for Nick Calathe, that was that was really bad. That was a low moment. Hey, he did win that rookie of the month award, and he's a decent guy. To be <laughs> he really loves uh, Swankies uh, here in Memphis. I've met him a few times there. That's a story for another time. Um but obviously, the, the you know the part of it is you know we've talked about Brooks Jones and Moran as far as the backcourt goes. But again, this Grizzlies team, we know who their young core is, but this team could really benefit from having another type of talent develop. Looking at Melton, um, Allen, and Gadurich, we've kind of seen you know that you know you've got some spe- you got the specialist in Gadurich, the you know controlled chaos in Allen, and the overall talent of Melton. How do you see that rotation uh, playing out? Do you see Melton eventually taking over um, as as the true reserve guard for the Grizzlies? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure about taking over. I definitely like to see him this season. <laughs> uh, we've only had like I think two recorded minutes of him, um, I, and there is a lot of season left. You never know what um, heaven forbid any injuries might happen, any suspensions, any you know absences from the team. He's going to get some sort of opportunity. And, you know, it's up to Tyus Jones to really keep that because I think he'll, Tyus Jones and John Morant will likely be the only two, you know, point guards to play in the game. Um, the Anthony Mall is really going to have to, like, force his way in by, you know, uh, those, like, lineups that you mentioned with, you know, Anthony and John next to each other in the backcourt or, you know, like I said, uh, some sort of situational uh, type deal. But I think if the Anthony Melton, um, kind of just stays on the bench like this. We're really going to need uh, Gadurich to uh, step up. And I, I kind of like what I've seen so far from him. I'm not sure if, like, the production is there, but I see him trying to do the right things and being in the right spot on the court. Um, I was really surprised to see him as, like, one of the first guys off the bench, basically in, all, in every game, and including the very first game of the season. Um I was expecting probably more like Solomon Hill and Kyle Anderson. Uh, so that was kind of a welcome to uh, a, a breath of fresh air. So I think Gadurich, he has probably the most potential to stay on the, stay in the rotation and be useful just because he's already <laughs> in the rotation. Whereas Grayson Allen is in the rotation, but not really that useful. Um, I, and I, I have been trashing on Grayson Allen this is only a second year. He's only been in this on this franchise for four games. Um, there is a chance for him to turn it around. He'd probably just be a guy that sits in the corner, makes threes, and um, you know is a capable body on defense. But I think of those three, it's likely to be Gadurich and Melton. Definitely has the talent, but I'm not sure if he's going to get the opportunity. Uh, anytime soon, so to speak. 
just like Mike Conley has his game day focus tradition when the Grizzlies play basketball, Ross has his own tradition. Each morning that the Grizzlies play, he used to do it with Jeff Green. Now he does it with uh, Grayson Allen. Ross will wish everybody a good morning except Grace Allen when it comes to Grizzlies game days. That's sure. a complete joke. Sure. <laughs> um, but along the same lines as Grace and Allen, you know, uh, another young talent that, you know, a lot of people are really intrigued by and seems to fit the narrative here in Memphis of a talented individual who just has not had things work his way off the court obviously due to some of his own decisions, things like that. But Josh Jackson, you know, we got some news about him today. Obviously, the Grizzlies did not pick up his option, but it seems like they've had a plan, and it seems like they've made an effort to communicate that plan to him. Uh, Ross, do you feel like that what's going on with the Grizzlies in Memphis should impact or accelerate that plan with Josh Jackson at all? Or do you feel like that Josh Jackson it needs to take time, needs to be given time to really get in the right mindset? You know, how do you see his situation uh, playing out, you know, within this calendar year um, as far as his involvement with the Grizzlies go? Um, throughout this calendar year, 2019, I don't think Josh Jackson is really going to be that much of a factor. I, when beginning into the season, I had suspected Josh Jackson at, when he's away from the team. So is Andre Iguodala. I would assume Josh Jackson would probably come up through the Memphis hustle eventually and come up to the main roster in around February once Iguodala is traded. Maybe we buy out Jay Crowder or Solomon Hill, and we just need more uh, guys on the roster, and he can play us out through the back half of the season. But the more, the further we get through the season, and only four games in, I, I'm less convinced of that happening. Um, I don't, ironically enough, unlike most years, I don't really see a big need for a Josh Jackson type on this team. Okay. Um, he's not really one to hit open threes. He's not one to. He, I mean, he was known for his defense coming out of Kansas, but that hasn't really translated into the NBA yet. I don't really think he's going to be on this roster, even even in the developmental state that we are, unless there's some big time roster maneuvering. Um, I just I just don't see uh, a new head coach like Taylor Jenkins trying to take on that kind of situation and like a rehabilitation project. This one, this early into his first season, and two, uh, while we have like a kind of a roster crunch with how many usable guys we have right now. Well, and that's the thing that I did that you know I think that has not been pointed out that much that that I do think is a very astute point that you make. You know, yes, the Grizzlies were in a position and still will be likely for the next you know two calendar years is they need to add as much talent as possible, but the strengths of Josh Jackson's game, they're similar to a lot of the strengths of other players on the Grizzlies roster. So you just don't have that much of a need for it. And so, yes, while it would be great to get Josh Jackson developed and, you know, really, you know, a, a part of this rotation, you know, it's also got to be considered what does he add. I think the Grizzlies want to make him a part of their future. I think that they really want that to work out. But even if it does to an extent, you know, how much value does he truly add when his skill sets are similar to what you already have? So I think that's a, a very astute point um, to make. 
Josh, before I mean, excuse me, <laughs> Ross, final uh, <laughs> Grizzlies centric question um, that I wanted to ask. You know, you do the weak side help every year, and you do a wonderful job with it. Uh, but you talk about the Grizzlies. You also talk about the NBA in general. The thing I wanted to ask was this: You did your weekly rankings for this week, and obviously, and for most folks, it seems like their first chance to see see LeBron and AD together would have been at the top of your hype rankings. But you put the Phoenix Suns coming to Memphis on Saturday at the top of those rankings. I get why you did that, and I think that it was a smart decision. What about that matchup intrigues you so much with DeAndre Ayton likely out of the, or excuse me, with DeAndre Ayton not playing in that game due to suspension? Uh, well, I think that game is kind of won by default, the, uh, <laughs> the power ranking of the most uh, watchable games this week. Uh, there are only two games this week, and I think I was proven right by the Lakers game being uh, <laughs> a mess in the second half, which it was actually close in the first half. But the thing is, the, the first half started at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, so that automatically loses points in my book. Um, and, and I was really worried that uh, exactly what happened <laughs> to the Grizzlies is what happened. Uh, the Lakers kind of dominated us with their size, and uh, – we really didn't have any kind of response to it. We just kind of let it happen. So I'm hoping at least the Suns game will be somewhat more of a resistance for a full 48 minutes. Um, and Devin Booker, he's just, I think he's an incredible talent to watch. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how it's going to translate to winning games or being like, I don't know, building around Devin Booker. I don't know about that. That's for down the line. That's for Suns fans to worry about. I think it was just fun for a one-night, you know, shootout. And I think uh, John Morant could really eat, especially if uh, Ricky Rubio is playing. Because I I don't think he's as good as he once was. Yeah. And and the fact that the Grizzlies could win also gives it a better shot. (laughs) More, uh, (laughs) More fun to watch, at least. Agreed. I like the Grizzlies matchup, especially down low in that game, uh, because without Aiton, you don't have really a matchup for uh, Jaron. And so if he could stay on the court, I think that it, it it is an easily winnable game for the Grizzlies. Ross, one last thing before we head out for the evening. I, I know that you are a fan of the Grizzlies and things like that, but you also do have some takes in general about the NBA. A couple of questions that I have for you. Number one, Looking at the first week of the season, what is really, you know, two things that have really stood out to you as either surprising or that you're really paying close attention to about the, you know, the new duos that are out there, things like that. Just a couple of things that really have stood out to you about the NBA in general so far this year. Uh, I think something that stood out so far, which I think I'm not really breaking any new ground here, but the Brooklyn Nets is something that is definitely going to keep in you're definitely going to want to keep in touch with that for the whole season. Like you were three or four games in, uh, they just lost to the Indiana Pacers. They don't have Victor Holodipo. They just lost at home to them. Uh, they lost to the Memphis Grizzlies. They've had that story come out uh, by Jackie McMullen, great writer, about how uh, Kyrie Irving's, uh, I guess, issues <laughs> off the court which actually, wait, no, that was uh, poorly phrased. Not like he's uh, committing any crimes. Terry Irving's uh, eccentric, eccentric. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's kind of leading to some friction already in the next uh, locker room. And 
I want to see how that, you know, festers over the season, especially with Kevin Durant not playing and them knowing that this season is kind of like a throwaway until he comes back. I'm kind of interested in how the Nets handle that if they try and trade some of those role players for for another star to kind of appease Kyrie for now or for this season. I think the Nets could be really interesting. I thought they were going to be a Bradley Beal contender before he signed his extension to uh, make him ineligible for a trade. But I think the Nets, uh, and whether or not they can turn around this like really short but bad start, I think that would be really uh, interesting to watch. And, and, you know, that's the thing that you see a lot in the NBA. You, you, uh, the thing about it is this, is that, you know, there are so many off-the-court storylines and narratives that are played because it just seems like that the players are, you know, allowed to have more personality in the NBA. They, they, they're going to take advantage of their stardom and have the chance to have more personality. We see a lot of clashes, you know, in terms of current events and things like that and viewpoints, whether it's politics or, you know, social norms, whatever it may be. You see a lot of, you know, potential, you know, polarizing stories out there. But, Ross, you're a fan of comedy. I've followed you for a few years on Twitter. Uh, you, You have a free spirit about yourself, and you seem to find the lighter side of things. Do you feel like that the NBA maybe has an underrated comedy aspect to it and people should focus more on that? Like, it just seems like that if you follow a lot of these guys on Instagram or social media and things like that, there's a lot of opportunity to just take a step back and enjoy the lighter side of things. And that could really embrace, that could really enhance a fan's perspective of the, you know, league itself. Oh, uh, 100%. Uh, I don't know if you saw it earlier tonight. Uh, I'm not sure if it was. You're right, because the best part of the funniness and the humor of the NBA is when it's not trying to be funny. And uh-huh. that that was in full effect tonight when uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid got into it on the court. I'm not sure if you saw this. Um, yeah. But yeah, the 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 video of Carl Anthony Towns tapping on the court wall, I believe, uh, <laughs> was that Zaire Smith was <laughs> choking him out from up top. I think that was Ben Simmons. Uh, it was Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was Ben Simmons who had him in the headlock. Well, that's already the that's already the story of the season. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be forgotten by like mid November when you know. Russ and James Harden start fighting or whatever. But yeah, that that already Carl Anthony Towns on the ground because that's even made funnier by the 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 picture from a few years ago where he's trying to post up Marcus Cousins and he's just sitting there like the most strength strained face and just cannot get past him. It, it's a it's a bad look for Cat. Well, and, and even it's the interaction with the fans. I mean, you know, at the Grizzlies game, there was video that surfaced today of you know LeBron uh, of some fans who were you know uh, um, uh, trying to get LeBron nudging LeBron to do his Taco Tuesday uh, sound off, and he did it. And I mean, you know, it's just you know you may not like. I personally like LeBron. You may you people have their different reasons for why they do and do not like the NBA uh, players. You know, there are a lot of polarizing talents, but at the end of the day. These are still people, and they they realize, I think that a lot of these NBA players realize that their success off the court and the reason why they're so successful is because of how much they're loved by fans. And so they need, you know, they may view it as taking advantage of that, but they need to embrace it. And I think that that's what sets the NBA apart 
you see the players a lot of times embracing the fans and embracing the opportunities that they get to interact with them. And you've seen that in Memphis. I'm sure you witnessed that a time or two yourself here in Memphis, right, Ross? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, uh, rest in peace to Lorenzo Wright, one of my very first uh, memories uh, as a Grizzlies fan was my brother, Salah, shout out to him. Uh, we were <laughs> waiting with our little uh, Memphis Redbirds autograph book uh, <laughs> on the side of the court at the end of a game and uh, asked Lorenzo Wright for an autograph. And he could have easily blowed He told us, uh, he's like, oh, give me a minute. I'll be right back which uh, as an adult now, I should have realized, oh, that means, no, he's not coming back. Uh, but he actually uh, was talking to some other fans, came back for 10, uh, after like 10 or so minutes, talked to us, signed our autograph books. And I, I think I was like, a, I think I was like hooked on the uh, Grizzlies since then. So um, oh, I, I definitely witnessed that. And again, uh, rest in peace, Lorenzo. You never know, know how you know a significant or not a talent is in the NBA. Each of these players, you know, it, it we'd have no right to judge them. We have no right to form an opinion of them and how they live their lives. But I think that there needs to be awareness amongst them that you never know when you can just you know make a fan for life, and you're you know living proof of that. Uh, Ross, anything else you want to end the opportunity with? It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Um, uh, your your ability to conversate and your takes are just as good vocally as they are, you know, obviously written out. Anything else that you you want to share or where people can find you um, as far as interacting with you, you know, through social media in the future? Well, well, one, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, two, yes, uh, you can follow me again at ASAP Rocky Top on Twitter and Instagram and follow Grizzly Bear Blues on Instagram at Grizzly Bear Blues. You can find uh, graphics, quotes, and stats, uh, we should be doing some pretty pretty big things on the Instagram soon. So I'm excited for it. A lot of times at newspaper, uh, uh, you know, for newspapers and, you know, internet sites and things like that, some of the writers that, you know, they may not have, you know, the most frequent columns and things like that, but they have, you know, the biggest staples there. I think that Ross's weak side help is probably one of the best and most consistent features on the Grizzly Bear Blue site. One of the more talented writers on the staff and just, you know, a good guy to talk with and interact with. Again, Ross Gerard, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We look forward to having you again in the near future and wish you the best of luck this week. Um, and, and hope that you have a great week. All right, bud, if you'll just stick around after we get off here. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, um, that will conclude this episode of the uh, um, 3ND Podcast. Again, my name is Sean Coleman. Justin will be back with us. We may not have a recording until late next week as I know me and Justin will be out of town, but look forward to joining you as always. Thanks again so much for Ross, and thanks again for listening here on the 3ND Podcast.